All right, and we are back. So just to catch you up on what we just read in Chapter 7 or where we finished is it's Christmas morning, and the kids got all these books and got these new clothes, and they're all excited. So there is a. they just talked about Christmas, and now there's a little space in the page, and we're going to continue where it says, After the Church Services. After the church services, the Averys return home with us for Christmas dinner. All eight of the Avery children, including the four preschoolers, crowded into the kitchen with boys, with the boys and me smelling the delicious aromas and awaiting the call to eat. But only the eldest girls, who were helping Mama, Big Ma, and Mrs. Avery prepare the finishing touches to the meal, were allowed to remain. The rest of us were continuously being chewed out by Big Ma. Finally, the announcement we were all waiting for was made, and we are allowed to begin the Christmas feast. The meal lasted for over two hours through first, seconds, and thirds, talk and laughter, and finally dessert. When we were finished, the boys and I, with Claude and TJ, went outside, but the half-inch layer of snow made everything sloppy, so we soon went back in and joined the adults by the fire. Shortly afterward, there was a timid knock on the front porch. Stacy opened the front door and found Jeremy Sims standing there, looking frozen and very frightened as he peered into the bright room. Everyone turned to stare at him. Stacy glanced around at Papa, then back at Jeremy. You, you want to come in? He asked awkwardly. Jeremy nodded and stepped hesitantly inside. As Stacy motioned him toward the fire, Uncle Hammer's eyes narrowed, and he said to Papa, He looks like a Sims. I believe he is, agreed Papa. Then what the devil? Let me handle it, Papa said. Jeremy, who had heard, flushed, a deep red, and quickly handed Mama a small burlap bag. I I brung them for y'all. Mama took the bag. As she opened it, I peeped over her shoulder. The bag was full of nuts. Nuts? I questioned. Nuts? Why we got more nuts than we know what, Cassie? Mama scowled. What have I told you about that mouth of yours? Then she turned to Jeremy. This is very thoughtful of you, Jeremy, and we appreciate them. Thank you. Jeremy nodded slightly as if he did not know how to accept her thanks and stiffly handed a slender paper-wrapped object to Stacy. Made this for you, he said. Stacy looked at Papa to see if he should take it. For a long moment, Papa studied Jeremy, then he nodded. It it ain't much, stammered Jeremy as Stacy tore off the wrapping. Made it myself. Stacy slid his fingers down the smooth, sanded back of a wooden flute. Go ahead and try it, said it, please, Jeremy. It blows real nice. Again, Stacy looked at Papa, but this time Papa gave him no indication what he should do. Thanks, Jeremy. It's real nice, he said finally. Then, flute in hand, he stood uncomfortably by the door, waiting for Jeremy to leave. When Jeremy did not move, Papa asked, You Charlie Sims, boy? Jeremy nodded. Yes, sir. Your daddy know you're here? Jeremy bit his lip and looked at his feet. No, sir, I reckon not. Then I expect you'd better be getting on home, son, for he come looking for you. Yes, sir, said Jeremy, backing away. As he reached the door, I cried after him. Merry Christmas, Jeremy. Jeremy looked back and smiled shyly. Merry Christmas to y'all, too. TJ made no comment on Jeremy's visit until both Papa and Uncle Hammer had left the room. He was afraid of Papa and downright terrified of Uncle Hammer, so he never had much to say when either was around. But now that they had gone outside with Mr. Avery, he said, You ain't going to keep that thing, are you? Stacy looked malevolently at TJ, and I knew that he was thinking of the coat. Yeah, I'm going to keep it. Why? TJ shrugged. Nothing. Except I sure wouldn't want no whistle some old white boy been blowing on. 
I watched Stacy closely to see if he was going to allow himself to be goaded by TJ. He was not. Ah, stuff it, TJ, he ordered. Aw, oh, man, don't get me wrong, said TJ quickly. You want to keep the whole thing, it's up to you. But for me, somebody give me something, I want it to be something fine, like that pretty little pearl-handled pistol. When the Avery's had left, Stacy asked, Papa, how come Jeremy give me his flute? Give me this flute. I mean, I didn't give him nothing. Maybe you did give him something, said Papa, lighting his pipe. No, sir, Papa, I ain't ever never give him nothing. Not even your friendship? Well, not really. I mean, he's a crazy kid, and he likes to walk to school with us, but you like him? Stacy frowned, thinking. I told him I didn't want him walking with us, but he keeps on anyway, and the white kids laugh at him because he do. But he don't seem to let it bother him none. I suppose I like him all right. Is that wrong? No, Papa said carefully. That ain't wrong. Actually, he's much easier to get along with than TJ. Stacy went on. And I suppose if I left him, he could be a better friend than TJ. Papa took the pipe from his mouth, rubbed his mustache, and spoke quietly. Far as I'm concerned, friendship between black and white don't mean that much, because it usually ain't on equal basis. Right now, you and Jeremy might be along fine, but in a few years, he'll think of himself as a man, but you'll probably still be a boy to him. And if he feels that way, he'll turn on you in a minute. But Papa, I don't think Jeremy'd be that way. Papa's eyes narrowed, and his resemblance to Uncle Hammer increased. We Logans don't have much to do with white folks. Why? Because white folks mean trouble. You see blacks hanging around with whites? They're headed for trouble. Maybe one day whites and blacks can be real friends. But right now, the country ain't built that way. Now, you could be right about Jeremy making a finer friend than TJ ever will be. The trouble is, down here in Mississippi, it costs too much to find out. So I think you'd better not try. Stacy looked full into Papa's face and read his meaning. On my way to bed, I stopped by the boys' room to retrieve an orange Christopher John had swiped from my stocking and spied Stacy fingering the flute. As I stood in the doorway, he lingered over it, then carefully rewrapping it, placed it in his box of treasured things. I never saw the flute again. All right, so let's talk about this. So it's Christmas um, dinner, and the whole Logan family is eating, and Jeremy Sims, a white boy, shows up to the house, and he pretty much brings presents for some of the family members. He gave a bag of nuts to Mama, and then he gave a flute to Stacy. Now, quickly, Papa diverted the situation and told him if your dad doesn't know you're here you better go home but then the conversation happened where Stacy was seriously confused on why this boy came and brought him a present he didn't understand why and he even like made it himself well pretty much Papa said right now it's not the time to be able to be friends with the white boy but he may value your friendship that even though you guys are just walking to school and you tell him he probably shouldn't he still probably is really thankful that you guys let him walk with you guys to school. But during this time period, blacks and whites really should not be friends. And that's what Papa is trying to tell him. So Stacy takes the flute, puts it in a box, and it was never to be seen again. All right, continuing. The day after Christmas, Papa summoned Stacy, Christopher John, little man, and me into the barn. We had hoped against hope that Mama would not tell him about our trip to the Wallace store, or if she did, that he would forget what he had promised. We should have known better. Mama always told Papa everything, and Papa never forgot anything. 
After we had received our punishment, we emerged sore and teary-eyed and watched Papa, Uncle Hammer, and Mr. Morrison climb into the Packard and speed away. Mama said they were going to Vicksburg. Why Vicksburg, Mama? asked Stacy. They've got some business to attend to, she said shortly. Come on now, get busy. We've got chores to do. In the late afternoon, shortly after the men had returned, Mr. Jameson arrived. He brought with him a fruitcake sent by Mrs. Jameson and a bag of lemon drops for each of the boys and me. Mama allowed us to say our thanks, then sent us outside. We played for a while in the patches of snow that remained, but when that grew tiresome, I popped into the house to see what was happening. Mama ordered me to pop back out again. What they doing? asked little man. Looking at a whole bunch of papers, I said, and Uncle Hammer was signing something. What kind of papers? asked Stacy. I shrugged. I don't know, but Mr. Jameson was saying something about selling the land. Selling the land? questioned Stacy. You sure? I nodded. He said, y'all signed them papers and Miss Caroline got no more legal right to this land. Can't sell it, can't sign on it. It'll be in y'all's name and it'll take both of y'all to do anything with it. Both of who? I shrugged again. Papa and Uncle Hammer, I guess. After a while, it grew chilly and we went inside. Mr. Jameson, sitting next to Big Ma, was putting some papers into his briefcase. I hope you feel better now that that's done, Miss Caroline, he said, his voice a soft mixture of Southern aristocracy and Northern schooling. Hammer and David, they've been taking care of things a long time now, Big Ma said. Them and Mary works hard to pay the taxes and mortgage on here place, and I've been wanting to make sure while I'm still breathing that they gets title to this place under the law without no trouble. I ain't wanting a whole lot of problems after I'm gone about who got rights to this land. She paused a moment, then added, That happens sometimes, you know? Mr. Jameson nodded. He was a long, thin man in his mid-fifties with a perfect lawyer face, so placid that it was difficult to guess what thoughts lay behind it. The boys and I sat down silently at a study table, and the silence allowed us to stay. I figured that Mr. Jameson would be leaving by now. Would be leaving now. His business was evidently finished, and despite the fact that the family thought well of him, he was not considered a friend in the usual sense, and there seemed no reason for him to stay longer. But now Mr. Jameson put his briefcase back on the floor, indicating that he was not leaving, and looked first at Big Ma and Mama, then across at Papa and Uncle Hammer. There's talk that some of the people around here are looking to shop in Vicksburg, he said. Big Ma looked around at Papa and Uncle Hammer, but neither of them acknowledged her glance. Their eyes were pinned on Mr. Jameson. There's talk to why folks are looking to shop there. He paused, met Ma- Papa's eyes, then Uncle Hammer's, and went on. As you know, my family has roots in Vicksburg. We have a number of friends there still. I got a call from one of them this morning. Said you were looking to find credit for about 30 families. Papa and Uncle Hammer neither affirmed nor denied this. You know as well as I do that credit doesn't come easy these days, continued Mr. Jameson. You expect to get any. You'll need something to back it. I reckon we know that, said Uncle Hammer. Mr. Jameson glanced at Uncle Hammer and nodded. I reckon you did. But as far as I can see, the only thing any of you got to back that credit with is this land. And I'd hate to see you put it up. Why's that? asked Uncle Hammer, wary of his interest. Because you'd lose it. The fire popped and the room grew silent. Then Papa said, what you getting at? I'll back the credit. Again, silence. Mr. Jameson allowed Papa and Uncle Hammer several moments to search for a motive behind his mask-like face. I'm a Southerner, born and bred, but that doesn't mean I approve of all that goes on here. And there are a lot of other white people who feel the same. If you and so many others feel that way, said Uncle Hammer with a wry sneer, then how come the Wallaces ain't in jail? 
Hammer, Big Moss darted. Because, answered Mr. Jameson candidly, there aren't enough of those same white people who would admit how they feel, or even if they did, would hang a white man for killing a black one. It's as simple as that. Uncle Hammer smiled slightly and shook his head, but his eyes showed a grudging respect for Mr. Jameson. Backing the loan will be, a sh will be strictly a business matter. In the fall when the crops are in, those people who bought the goods in Vicksburg will have to pay for them. If they don't, then I'll have to. Of course, as a businessman, I'm hoping that I won't have to put out a penny. My own cash box isn't exactly overflowing, so there have to be a credit limit. Still, it would lend me a great deal of satisfaction to know that I was a part of all this. He looked around. What do you think? You know, it ain't hardly likely, Papa said, that after accounts are figured, there'll be any money to pay any debts at all, except those about the Wallace store. Mr. Jameson nodded knowingly, but the offer still stands. Papa inhaled deeply. Well, then, I'd say it's up to those people who'd be buying on your signature. They want to do it, then we got no say in it. We always pay cash. You know, if you sign that credit, said Uncle Hammer, you won't be the most popular man down in here. You thought about that? Yes, said Mr. Jameson thoughtfully. My wife and I discussed it fully. We realized what could happen, but I'm just wondering if you do. Besides the fact that a number of white folks around here had resent, here resent this land you've got and your independent attitude, there's Harlan Granger. Now, I've known Harlan all my life, and he's not going to like this. I wanted to ask what Mr. Granger had to do with anything, but common sense told me that I would only learn eviction by asking. But then Mr. Jameson went on and explained without any prodding from me. Ever since we were boys, Harlan lived in the past. His grandfather filled him with all kinds of tales about the glory of the South before the war. You know, back then, the Grangers had one of the biggest plantations in the state, and Spokane County practically belonged to them. And they thought it did, too. They were consulted about everything concerning this area, and they felt it was up to them to see that things worked smoothly according to the law, a law basically for whites. Well, Harlan feels the same now as his grandmother did back then. He also feels strongly about this land, and he resents the fact that you won't sell it back to him. You back the credit with it now, and he'll seize this opportunity to take it away from you. You can count on it. He paused, and when he spoke, his voice had grown so quiet. I had to lean forward to hear his next words. And if you continue to encourage people not to shop at the Wallace store, you could lose it. Don't forget that Harlan leases that store land to the Wallaces and gets a hefty percentage of its revenue. Before he let the Wallaces set up storekeeping, he was only getting his sharecroppers money. Now he gets a nice bit of Montier's and Harrison sharecroppers money too, since both of them, those plantations are too small to have a store and he's not hardly going to stand for your interfering with it. But even more important than all that, you're pointing a finger right at the Wallaces with this boycott business. You're not only accusing them of murder, which in this case would be only a minor consideration because the man killed was black, but you're also saying they should be punished for it, that they should be punished just as if they had killed a white man. And punishment of a white man for a wrong done to a black man will denote equality. Now that is what Harlan Granger absolutely will not permit. Mr. Jameson was silent, waiting. No one else spoke, and he went on again. What John Henry Barry and his brother were accused of, making advances to a white woman, goes against the grain of Harlan Granger and most other white folks in this community. More than anything else, you know that. Harlan may not believe in the methods of the Wallaces, but he'll definitely support them. Believe me on that. Mr. Jameson picked up his briefcase, 
ran his fingers through his graying hair, and met Papa's eyes. The sad thing is, you know in the end you can't beat him or the Wallaces. Papa looked down at the boys, and me awaiting his reply, then nodded slightly, as if he agreed. Still, he said, I want these children to know that we tried, and what we can't do now, maybe one day they will. I do hope that's so, David, murmured Mr. Jameson, going to the door. I truly hope that's so. Wow. So, the lawyer, Mr. Jameson, came out of the house. Long story short, if you didn't catch it, um, Big Mom handed over all of the rights of the land to Uncle Hammer, Papa, and Mama. And Mr. Jameson was about to leave, but then he decided not to leave anymore. And he wanted to talk to them about these rumors that he heard about them not shopping at the Vicksburg anymore and that they need credit and that they need some collateral and the collateral is their land and they're going to lose their land. So Mr. Jameson is explaining all of these circumstances that might happen. And then uncle hammer says, you know, what's going to happen to you? Cause if they find out that you're helping us with this credit, then you're not going to be a big fan down here. And he says, yeah, I know me and my wife has have discussed it. So they're just trying to figure out what they can do to show the Wallaces and the Grangers that what they did with John Henry Barry was wrong. Now, I want you to imagine it like this. The Wallaces own the store, but the Granger, Mr. Granger, owns the Wallace store. So Mr. Granger's the big head honcho, and Mr. Granger's not going to put up with this. All right, let's go ahead and finish this chapter. In the days that followed Mr. Jameson's visit, Papa, Mama, and Uncle Hammer went to the houses of those families who were considering shopping in Vicksburg. On the fourth day, Papa and Uncle Hammer again went to Vicksburg, but this time in the wagon with Mr. Morrison. Their journey took two days, and when they returned, the wagon was loaded with store-bought goods. What's all that? I asked Papa as he jumped from the wagon. That's for us? No, Cassie girl. It's things folks ordered from Vicksburg. I wanted to ask more questions about the trip, but Papa seemed in a hurry to be off again, and my questions went unanswered until the following day, when Mr. Granger arrived. Christopher, John, and I were drawing water from the well when the silver Packard glided to a smooth stop in the drive, and Mr. Granger stepped out. He stared sour-faced at Uncle Hammer's Packard in the barn, then opened the gate to the front of the yard and stepped briskly across the lawn to the house. Hastily, Christopher, John, and I tugged on the well rope, pulled up the water tube, and poured the water into the bucket, each of us gripping a side of the heavy bucket. We hurried to the back porch where we deposited it then tiptoed silently through the empty kitchen to the door leading to Mama and Papa's room. Little man and Stacy, just leaving the room under Mama's orders, allowed the door to remain slightly cracked, and all four of us huddled against it, stepladder fashion. You sure giving folks something to talk about with that car of yours, Hammer, Mr. Granger said in his folksy dialect as he sat down with the grunt across from Papa. In spite of his college education, he always spoke this way. What they got you doing up north? Bootleg and whiskey? He laughed dryly, indicating that the question was to be taken lightly by his eyes tight on Uncle Hammer, showed that he intended to have an answer. Uncle Hammer, leaning against the fireplace mantel, did not laugh. Don't need a bootleg, he said solemnly. Up there I got me a man's job, and they pay me a man's wages for it. Mr. Granger studied Uncle Hammer. Uncle Hammer wore, as he had every day since he had arrived sharply creased pants a vest over a snow white shirt and shoes that shone like midnight you right citified ain't you 
Of course, you always did think you was too good to work in the fields like other folks. No, that ain't it, said Uncle Hammer. I just ain't never figured 50 cents a day was worth a child's time, let alone a man's wages. Uncle Hammer said nothing else. He didn't need to. Everyone knew that 50 cents was the top price paid to any day laborer, man, woman, or child hired to work in the Granger fields. Mr. Granger ran his tongue around his teeth, making his lips protrude in odd half circles. Then he turned from Uncle Hammer to Papa. Some folks tell me y'all running a regular traveling store up here. Here tell a fellow can get just about anything he wants from up at Tate's in Vicksburg if he just lets y'all know. Papa met Mr. Granger's eyes but did not speak. Mr. Granger shook his head. Seems to me you folks are to stirring up something. Y'all got roots in this community. Even got yourselves that loan Paul Edward made from the First National Bank up in Strawberry for that eastern 200 acres. Of course, now with times, like they are, that mortgage could come due any time. And if it comes due and y'all ain't got the money to pay it, y'all could lose this place. Ain't gonna lose it, said Uncle Hammer flatly. Mr. Granger glanced up at Uncle Hammer, then back to Papa. He took a cigar from his pocket and then a knife to cut off the tip. After he had to throw the tip into the fire, he settled back in his chair and lit the cigar while Papa, Mama, and Uncle Hammer and Big Ma waited for him to get on. Then he said, this is a fine community, got fine folks in it, both white and colored. Whatever's bothering you people, y'all just tell me. We'll get it straightened out with all this big to-do. Uncle Hammer laughed outright. Mr. Granger looked up sharply, but Uncle Hammer eyed him insolently, a smile still on his lips. Mr. Granger, watching him, cautioned sternly, I don't like trouble here. This is a quiet, peaceful place. I aim to see it stays that way. Turning back to Papa, he continued, Whatever problems we have, we can work them out. I ain't gonna hide that I think y'all making a big mistake, both for the community and for yourselves. Going all the way down to Vicksburg to do your shopping? That don't seem very neighborly. Neither does burning, said Uncle Hammer. Mr. Granger puffed deeply on his cigar and did not look at Uncle Hammer. When he spoke again, it was to Big Ma. His voice was harsh, but he made no comment on what Uncle Hammer had said. I don't think your Paul Edward would have condoned something like this and risked losing this place. How come you let your boys go to do it? Big Ma smoothed the lap of her dress with her hands. They groan and it's they land. I got no more say in it. Mr. Granger's eyes showed no surprise, but he pursed his lips again and ran his tongue around his teeth. The price of cotton's mighty low. Y'all know that, he said finally. Could be that I'll have to charge my people more of their crops next summer just to make ends meet. I'd hate to do it, because if I did, my people wouldn't hardly have enough to buy winter stores, let alone be able to pay their debts. There was a tense waiting silence before his glance slid to Papa again. Mr. Joe Higgins up at First National told me that he couldn't hardly honor a loan to folks who go around stirring up a lot of bad feelings in the community, and especially stirring the colored folks out of their place, interjected Uncle Hammer calmly. Mr. Granger paled, but did not turn to Uncle Hammer. Money's too scarce, he continued, as if he had not heard. And folks like that are a poor risk. You ready to lose your land, David, because of this thing? Papa was lighting his pipe. He did not look up until the flame had caught in the tobacco and held there. Then he turned to Mr. Granger. Two hundred acres of this place been Logan land for almost fifty years now. The other two hundred for fifteen. 
We've been through bad times and good times, but we ain't never gonna lost none of it. Ain't gonna start now, Mr. Granger said quietly. It was Granger land before it was Logan. Slave land, said Papa. Mr. Granger nodded. Wouldn't have lost this section if it hadn't been stolen by your Yankee carpetbaggers after the war. But y'all kept on playing Santa Claus, and I'm gonna get it back. Real easy. I want you to know that I plan to do whatever I need to do to keep peace down in here. Papa took the pipe from his mouth and stared into the fire. When he faced Mr. Granger again, his voice was very quiet, very distinct, very sure. You being white, you can just about plan anything you want. But I tell you, this one thing, you plan on getting this land, you're planning on the wrong thing. Mama's hand crossed, almost unseen, to Papa's arm. Mr. Granger looked up slyly. There's a lot of ways of stopping you, David. Papa impaled Mr. Granger with an icy stare. Then you'd better make them good, he said. Mr. Granger stood to go, a smile creeping smugly over his lips, as if he knew a secret, but refused to t tell. He glanced at Uncle Hammer, then turned and left, leaving the silence behind him. So I have a couple questions for you to think about. What do you think of Mr. Granger? I don't know. He seems kind of sketchy to me. He comes off as this nice guy, maybe, but then he kind of has different motives. What do you think his beef is with Uncle Hammer? Because every time Uncle Hammer talks to him, he doesn't respond to Uncle Hammer. He talks to either Mama or Papa. And lastly, what's the big deal about this land? People are trying to take this land. They got a lawyer about this land. What do you think is the big deal about the land? All right, and that's all we have for this chapter. So I'll go ahead and see you in chapter eight. Goodbye.